Good afternoon. Good evening. This is Dove Tuzman, and you're back on equal footing. Not in studio tonight, so apologies ahead of time if we've got any audio latency in the great state of Colorado. This Thursday, beautiful town of Vail, looking out onto snowy, somewhat snowy peaks. That is a bit of a contrast with the difficult subject matter we're going to tackle tonight. I would say for almost two years, I've wanted to do tonight's show. We've had shows on open relationships, uh, non-traditional relationship structures. We've even had shows on the definition of infidelity and adultery from a religious perspective, halachically, the oral tradition, etc. But we haven't tackled head-on what some people feel is life's greatest minefield, betrayal, cheating, What drives people to do it? Can you heal from it? Is the chalice of trust forever broken? I think it's one of those things that's about as close to universal as it gets. Unless you're a celibate monk somewhere, most most likely, statistically, you've experienced cheating in a relationship that you hold dear. You've betrayed someone else's trust. You've had your trust betrayed. And as much as you'll see this topic covered in bookshelves, it is still not talked about enough. And without the nuance, I think that it deserves. Tonight, we're going to get into it with two guests who see it from different angles, who work as therapists, and try to understand the psychology of the cheater and the person who's on the other side. Let me start by introducing our guest who's actually here with me in person, which is great, even though we're not in studio, Yeza Amit. Yeza is a relationship therapist. She has a BS in psychology from the University of Florida. She took a different life path for a while, which I think is great because it gives her greater empathy for her clients. She came to the therapeutic profession in her 30s. She has a deep passion for helping others, particularly interest in relationship and sexuality, including alternative relationship structures, as well as substance abuse and other areas. She's told me before the show that what she likes most about working in therapy is the process of recovering, recovery, I should say, promoting a lifestyle of wellness, across different aspects of life and healing post-trauma. Yeza received her MSW in 2017 from the Sandler School of Social Work at FAU, and she has treatment approaches and therapeutic techniques that are uniquely tailored to each individual that come from different modalities and methodologies. Yeza, welcome to Equal Footing. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to actually get very different points of view, I think, tonight from uh, two therapists. Uh, sometimes on the show we get a pastor or a rabbi accompanied by a therapist. Tonight we're going full-on mental health. <laughs> we're joined by a 
someone who in this field almost needs no introduction, but if you haven't really dived into the uh, therapeutic and academic study of infidelity, then you might not know him. That's Dr. William Harley. He's a well-known, internationally published author on the subject. He's published books like uh, Surviving an Affair and, most recently, His Needs, Her Needs, Building an Affair-Proof Marriage. Dr. Harley earned his Ph.D. in psychology from the University of California at Santa Barbara in 1967. He's been a licensed clinical psychologist in Minnesota since 1975 and that entire time since, working with couples and focused on the issue of infidelity and recovering from infidelity. In the beginning of his practice, he was frustrated as a part-time marriage counselor because he had very little success in helping couples, and many of his peers reported the same. In the early 1970s, though, he discovered a particular technique that he felt kind of unlocked the lock and the marital therapy profession around recovering from infidelity. Spent the next two years designing this new approach, and as the success rate skyrocketed, he resigned from his teaching position to counsel full-time. He has 32 different mental health clinics in Minnesota uh, with various psychiatrists and psychologists and social workers on staff. Dr. Harley, welcome to Equal Footing for the first time. It's nice to have two first-time guests, too. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you. So, Dr. Harley, let's put you in the hot seat first and define what we mean by cheating because there's everything from flirtation to an online affair with someone you don't even know uh, to uh, meeting someone in person, the difference between a sexual and emotional uh, affair outside of a committed relationship. Set the stage for us. What are we going to talk about tonight? What do you feel really when you meet with couples is properly defined as cheating? Well, uh, generally speaking, I think cheating is is thought of as a sexual relationship outside of marriage um, with another person. Um, there's a lot of literature on the topic of being emotional, um, having an emotional affair, which means that you feel um, romantic love towards someone outside of marriage. And uh, many people would argue that, uh, in many ways, that is uh, more dangerous, more harmful, more uh, more of a problem than, um, say, a sexual relationship with somebody while you're drunk uh, who you haven't known for more than a day or two. So there's a there's a strong argument that an affair is has various levels of, of difficulty in helping people overcome. And I would say that the emotional relationship with somebody of the opposite sex that you are, in fact, having a sexual relationship with is, without a doubt, universally considered an affair. Yes, do you, do you agree? It sounds like Dr. Harley is, if I were to put a, make this a Venn diagram, is putting cheating in the middle that includes both an emotional and a physical connection. Um, do, do, is that how you would define cheating? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I agree with him about the, you know, emotional component being more threatening to a relationship than just a physical. So let me put a question to both of you around that, that will reveal, uh, if not bias, at least some cynicism around, um, I guess, the 
the widespread view that, that, that cheating is pathological or socially destructive. You know, there are various stats, and we, we, I was thankful to the pregame research because a lot of, lot of great stats, and I quote a little, uh, some of them during the show, but basically, it, during people's lifetimes in Western societies, the numbers tend to cluster around 70% of people cheat which I guess by definition means around 70% of people have been cheated on. Um, the stats, while some studies show differences between men and women, uh, more recently those stats have converged. There are ones that are low 50 or 60, others above 80. A lot, of course, there's self-selection bias and reporting. But the bottom line is most people cheat, and yet our, we demand monogamy. And I'm not saying there aren't other structures, but socially that's kind of the social cultural uh, paragon, right? Is is a is a traditional monogamous relationship. If if in practice um, most people are cheating, and you know we're advancing as a society, you know scientifically and socially and human rights wise and et cetera, we're doing okay. It seems. Um, why? Let's start with: Is this really a problem? What's the problem with a with a, a model that effectively pretends to be monogamous, but in reality, in the vast majority of cases, isn't? Let's start with you, Dr. Harley. Yeah, my my position has always been that um, uh, having a uh, romantic relationship outside of marriage is one of the most harmful and uh, painful things that anybody can go through uh, if you're the betrayed spouse, especially if you're a woman uh, as the betrayed spouse. Um, in many cases, I've had people tell me that it is uh, more painful than uh, some of the most painful things that anybody could imagine, the loss of a child, uh, your house burning down and you lose everybody, even the loss of a limb. Uh, and people will tell me that they have experienced a lot of these other things and the infidelity of their spouse uh, tops the list when it comes to how much pain and suffering they've experienced. So I would say that the number one reason to avoid an affair is that it's about the worst thing you could do to your partner. Um, if you have no concern about how your partner feels about your behavior, um, then you shouldn't have that partner. You should have somebody who will tell you that they don't care. And there are people like that. But if you would ask your spouse or your partner, how would you feel if I were to uh, engage in a sexual relationship with somebody else, the person would tell you that uh, I, I would be devastated by that, then I'd say that's the number one reason not to. Here's a person that yeah, trusts that, you, the person in, you, you depend in on. Your in your therapeutic practice, is um, do you do you observe the same type of, ex of extreme characterization that we're hearing from Dr. Harley that an affair is worse than God forbid having your your house burned down or some sort of physical uh, uh, injury, some sort of other uh, massive tragedy or trauma in life? Do you feel like this is, in a sense, people's greatest trauma? I feel like. When you break the trust, you're breaking the foundation, and that can be – and you may not be able to ever build it back, to be completely honest. Some people can work through it. Um, it's obviously being monogamous is not a biological human um, kind of predisposition, and and so 
for instance, like Yalom at uh, Stanford was like, you know, there's Love's Executioner, and so limerence lasts between six months and 18 months, which is basically that um, infatuation period. And after that, everyone's working at their relationship. You have to make it sexy again. You have to put the effort and energy in. Um, and so if there's an agreement that going outside of the relationship and it's equal and it's honest and it's upfront, um, it's doable. The, the biggest damage you can do, in my opinion, is when you break that trust and, you know, sometimes you just, it's just irreparable. Yeah, you know, if you do a, a Google search on quotes on cheating, uh, I, and I've got a bunch of them up on my screen right now, a significant percentage refer to the idea that kind of one lie destroys, tarnishes a thousand truths. That it's that that really once the trust is broken, it's it's irrecoverable. Um, you know the the idea that you know once the paper is crumpled, it will never be truly flat again. That type of thing. It's not irrecoverable. So let me interject with that. I mean, it, if both parties are willing to go back, and you, you kind of have to like go back to the beginning of the relationship, start slow, and have the patience to rebuild that, um, it is possible. I mean, you know. Marriages definitely survive infidelity, and it is not our, like, biological natural tendency to be uh, monogamous for life. So, but, yeah, there are other times when people are just completely crushed. Sometimes people are just thinking, you know, practically with their head and their families, and, you know, they'll stay in the relationship for, you know, for social reasons or whatever, but then they never really rebond and reconnect together, and... I think so they stay in, they stay connected in the in the familial or marital structure, but it's never the same again. Well, socially, yes, yeah, th- their connection is broken. Doctor Harley, before we go to I, our I would first say break, that, uh, you, you've built your you've, you've helped you've built your career in helping people recover from affairs. So I imagine you take uh, if not take umbrage, you've got a different point of view here. Well, first of all, I, I would agree that is it always, uh, that it always is a biological necessity, uh, in the sense that it's we're all in we we are all basically designed to procreate, and uh, infidelity is, as far as I'm concerned, something that is innate. Uh, I am born to be unfaithful. Now, as a as an intelligent human being, uh, I can make a commitment that goes against my biological instincts. So when I marry, I can tell the person that I married to that you can trust me not to be unfaithful in spite of the fact that I am very tempted to do that. And so to make sure that I don't, I'm going to take precautions that may seem weird to some people, but it will keep me faithful and I want you to understand that you're not at risk that I would have an affair because I'm taking these precautions. It's something that I have to tell you in all honesty, I'm biologically made to have an affair. So I'm going to take these precautions. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not going to talk about the halacha or like the uh, Jewish law and ethics or, or generally religious uh, ethics on this tonight. It wouldn't be fair to either of you to assume that, that you're, that you're taking Taking that position on the program, but I think so. So many of our listeners do uh, do have faith at the core of their lives, and I think it's worth mentioning that in the Abrahamic faith, uh, adultery is 
at the very, very top of the list in terms of, in terms of transgressions. And there is so much language dedicated to the topic, um, at least in, in, in Torah that, um, you would, you'd think that in a sense, um, and I'm saying this a bit tongue in cheek, and I know I'll probably get a little hate mail over our first break on this, but, um, if it had, I want to use the double negative. It must be something, not being monogamous, to Yeza's point, I, I agree, um, must be somehow what we're biologically wired to do, i.e. to be with other people, even when we're saying we're in a committed relationship. I would say otherwise there wouldn't be so much prescription against it. You wouldn't have to make the point so much. And the, you know, only 9% of mammals mate for life. Um, those that do mate for life, only about one out of five are only with one partner uh, for life. So if you figure out that percentage, that means like, what, two or three percent of mammals um, are actually um, monogamous throughout their lifetime. Food for thought from a evolutionary biology perspective. We'll be right back on equal footing. We're tackling the issue of cheating, romantic betrayal, and recovery. Participate. I know that some of you want to participate in this conversation. Lay it on us. Send a text if you want to be anonymous. You can mention your name, of course, but if you want to send by text or by WhatsApp uh, to let us know what you think on this topic, share an experience of cheating, being cheated on, your recovery process, anything you, you want to share on this topic, the number to text or WhatsApp is 917-428-4062. Don't call that number. I'm going to give you the number to call in a minute. For text, comments, or questioners, questions to our guests, Yeza Mitz, who's a family therapist, a couples counselor, and Dr. William Harley, who's also in the field, been doing this for uh, almost 50 years. Send it in to 917-428-4062. If you want to be on the air live with us, be patient. I'm going to give you the number. Let it ring until our wonderful radio engineer, Dimitri, is able to pick you up because we're not in studio, 718 718- Three zero three nine zero nine zero. That's the call and participate. You can mention your name or be anonymous. Seven one eight three zero three ninety ninety. We'll be right back. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Manhattan Medical. Manhattan Medical, like Equal Footing, tackles difficult subjects you can heal from, you can deal with, that are hard to talk about. In this case, erectile dysfunction. Manhattan Medical offers a new effective therapy for erectile dysfunction. It does not involve those expensive blue pills. It's non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It is painless, and it is available to anybody, even those that have comorbidities related to the common therapies. What is this? What is this therapy? I'm mushmouthed tonight. What is this therapy for erectile dysfunction? It's called Gaines Wave. Gaines Wave. It's been around in Europe for quite a while, in Canada more recently, just recently introduced to the United States. It's incredibly effective, enduring, and it can heal erectile dysfunction for people even in their 80s. Call. Find out more. The number is 
888-ED-CURE-9. That's 888-ED-CURE-9 or in numbers, 888-332-8739. I'm going to give out that number again right in, in a moment, but I want to tell you that you can get a free consultation if you call about Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy for ED if and only if you mention that you heard about it on equal footing. That is a $250 value, and they won't give it to you unless you call this number and say you heard about the ED therapy at Manhattan Medical on equal footing. You do not have to be in Manhattan. You do not have to be in the New York area. You do have to be in the United States. You can get a telehealth consult with Manhattan Medical by calling 888-332-8739. I've been caught. Okay, we're back with Yeza Amit and Dr. William Harley. We're talking about cheating. Uh, Dr. Harley, I think I, I think we tweaked you a little bit there before the, the break. You think that it is the natural biological state of a human being to be monogamous and not cheat? Dr. Harley, can you hear us? You might be on mute. Absolutely. I think that we are all born to procreate as best we can. And um, if we find willing partners uh, to procreate with, uh, we are highly motivated to um, participate. Um, and so I am born with a instinct to cheat. I would I would put it that way. People ask me why did my husband, why did my wife cheat? Why did they have an affair? And I said because they're born to have one. Um, they're made to have one. And the only way you can avoid an affair is to consciously and deliberately decide not to and to take precautions to make sure it doesn't happen. Otherwise, uh, people that tell me that they're just never going to have an affair because they have high moral standards, I would say that they are first in line to be among the 70% that have affairs. Uh, you have to understand the risk so let, before we get on, because I want to hear from both of you about kind of the techniques for uh, uh, creating, as you put it, an affair-proof marriage, uh, the, the the kind of coping techniques for dealing with uh, recovery as a couple once infidelity has been uh, discovered. But before we do that, I want to get into the biology a little bit more, and this is really sensitive. So, Yeza, you're on the hot, you're in the hot seat now because you're we're sitting together here uh, at at a seat, so <laughs> this is tougher on you. There, there is significant scholarship that shows significantly different levels of uh, infidelity in marriage in different social, cultural, ethnic, and racial groupings. Okay. And this is hard to hear. I'm going to give you a few of them. And, by the way, there's a very good Pew Research study. We'll put in some of the show notes, some of the different sources uh, from the stats, because we always can back up our data. So uh, on a self-reported basis, and let's acknowledge that, you know, there are issues with self-reporting, but the best data, at least comparatively, we can work with. Um, uh, black men in the United States are statistically the most likely to be cheating in uh, in in marriage, um, that is followed about they're about sixty percent more likely than white men, and 
almost double as likely as Hispanic men. Okay? Um, there are a number of other points uh, here. I mean, we can't go through all of these different the, the different differentiations, but um, same-sex couples uh, also have significantly higher incidences of infidelity than traditional two-gender couples. Uh, people are much less likely to cheat. I found this one fascinating. This is a mixing up topics here, but this is or or or, or uh, angles of dissecting the data. People are much less likely to cheat cheat in their second marriage than in their first, and even less likely to cheat in their third than in their second. I found that fascinating. I thought it might be the other way around. Um, and and finally, education levels. And this was one that I, I thought was the most interesting. That and, and, and wait for what are you thinking right now? If you're listening to this program, do you think the higher your education level, the less likely you are to cheat, or the more likely you are to cheat? Because I would have said the less likely, but the answer is the more likely. So the higher your level of education, if you have, if you have secondary education, you have college education, uh, master's or PhD, Dr. Harley, you're in trouble on this one. You're the one with the most degrees here on the phone. Um, you are more likely to cheat. Jason, what is going on? Can you explain some of these differences? Well, I think there's cultural differences across the board for many different things. Uh, I also think that you're probably seeing a higher rate of um, infidelity with more educated people because it, people nowadays are learning that love isn't the Hollywood, you know, story and that, um, as I said earlier, limerence is six months to 18 months. After that, you're going to, you know, people... What is that word you keep saying? Limerence. Limerence is great. Explain to the audience what that means. It's like infatuation, basically. So... The the time and this is again going back to Yalom Stanford giving him full credit, um, but you know he has a actually a book and one of the chapters it's called Love's Executioner, and it's interesting to teach that to a bunch of uh, social workers <laughs> because you know everybody like wants to believe in that and um, the truth of the matter is is that there is not one person for every person on this planet and I think that the more educated people are and the more they have access to that information the more that they are then trying to have the best of both worlds. They want to have, you know, the family on the outside, but then they don't want to lose any, like, experience. Okay, so I can understand. We're getting, Dr. Dr. Harley, we're going to get you in a minute. But I can understand how higher education level would expose people to different relationship structures and maybe a more open mind and so forth. I'm struggling still, though, with the, with the differences in racial and ethnic groups as it relates to infidelity. Well, I think racial and ethnic groups also go back to in, in, uh, levels of education, right? Because, you know, the Hispanic and the black, for the most part, do not have the same access. But that would, uh, in a certain sense, mean they would, uh, that would militate the other way, right? Wouldn't that mean they'd, they'd, there would be less incidence of infidelity in those communities? Well, I think there's emotional intelligence and, you know, uh, people putting up boundaries. And I think that the higher your education and the more access you have, you know, the better you are able to put, like he said, those, like, stop box in place and to, you know, to make sure that you don't cross those lines. So I think that's why, you know, less educated people are more reactionary, reflectionary, and they find themselves in trouble more often. Huh. Dr. Harley, what do you think? Yeah, I think what do you, how would you explain? It, it comes down. These, these... It, it basically comes down to opportunity, and um, you know, the, the the question really is why are why are highly educated people have more opportunity? Well, part of it is that their education makes them attractive. Um, 
also within certain ethnic groups, uh, men in particular, are more attractive for other reasons. Uh, and again, it has to do with, with attractiveness and opportunity. I really think that with opportunity, the only way you're going to avoid an affair is to be highly disciplined. And uh, if you're not highly disciplined, uh, you're going to find yourself falling in love with somebody, finding a sexual experience that is very attractive, and, and you have trouble resisting it. I, and, you know, I, I come back always to the proposition, and when people talk about this, they think of this as the most horrible betrayal of all time. I come back to the proposition that we're made to have affairs. We're made to have sex with whoever shows up. And if you don't protect yourself from that temptation, you're sure to have it. Um, I'm probably the only one in four generations in my family, only man, that has never had an affair, largely because I knew about everybody else's affair. And I thought that I was... I was wired to have affairs because of my DNA. Turns out everybody is. And I took precautions that most people don't take, and that's why I have not had an affair throughout my life. As a matter of fact, people will often say, why are you in the business of helping people avoid affairs when you have never had one? And my answer is because I've been really good at not having one, and I know how to avoid it, so I help other people. Dr. Harley, I want to get into your, I keep promising to get into your kind of recipe for creating an affair-proof relationship. I did want to, just before the break, uh, a listener has asked for the the, the name of the book that Yeza Meet mentioned. It's called Love's Executioner uh, by Dr. Yalom, who is, uh, I guess, a Stanford professor, Love's Executioner. And I also very much recommend Dr. Harley's book, Surviving an Affair, one of his his books. We're going to be right back after the break. We're going to talk about that. Issue. What happens after? I think we've established in the first two segments of the show that affairs happen, that infidelity happens. Statistically, it happens in most relationships. So, and that's true whether you're a man, you're a woman, same gender relationship, two gender relationship, all the age cohorts. I mean, it's, the stats are overwhelming that it's, that it is endemic, um, and, and, uh, and prevalent in, in today's kind of, in today's society. So what do you do? After, how do you heal? We'll be right back. I cheated myself like I knew I would. I told you I was troubled. You know that I'm no good. Equal Footing with Dove Tusman sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. 
And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been calling. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. You're here with Dr. William Harley and Yeza Amit, both brave therapists who help couples navigate the minefield of infidelity. Before the break, we were talking about some of the differences in ethnic and racial groups and the incidence of infidelity. And Yeza, you mentioned uh, as we were on the break, you had one point you wanted to make before we move on. A couple of points I want to make. Um, one, I think that sometimes you see that differently in different um, cultures. Uh, and I think that, like, for instance, um, you know, Puerto Rican descent. And so it's a, oftentimes a patriarchal system and women may look the other way or be taught that, you know, like even having a child out of wedlock is just, you know, unacceptable. So um, they'll put up with more. Also, uh, I don't think that we can look away from the fact that those certain cultures are disadvantaged uh, socioeconomically, and so they don't have the same access to education. And thirdly, when you were saying that um, second marriages have lesser, I think divorce is a huge trauma that people do not foresee when they, you know, when they decide, oh, I'm just going to get divorced, and then they have these kids and all of this stuff that happens afterwards. When they get to a second marriage, not only are they more mature, they're more educated, and they're not willing to, they're more protective of their family and their relationship. Interesting point. You know, Dr. Harley, before we did the show, we were doing a little bit of pregame uh, conversation, and you were talking about being a counselor to couples that ha- that are faith-oriented and the differences between the incidence of infidelity in the Christian community and the Jewish community, for example, in, in your Minnesota practice. Is there anything you want to share with the audience on that? Well, generally, I've worked with uh, almost all religious groups um, at one time or another, and I am currently working with people that are Hindus and Muslims and, and, uh, and of course, Christians. And even within the Christian faith, there are many groups, subgroups, and I work with all of them, too. Uh, if I can grab onto a moral principle that will help motivate them to take the precautions that I recommend, so much the better. Uh, but what I've noticed, and I've actually written an article on the subject, is that at least in my faith as a Christian, um, there doesn't seem to be a difference in the rate of or the incidence of infidelity as there is in people who don't claim any religion at all. Um, so the question is, does our religious faith really do us much good when it comes to um, avoiding an affair? And uh, I think of it as a U-shaped function um, in, that, in that, you know, there are highly moral people within my faith who really do take precautions, and uh, they, do, they do avoid an affair because of that. And then there are people that think that their morality is going to save them. And and so then for that group, they don't take precautions, and they find themselves more vulnerable. So I, I really uh, think right. that it's a complicated issue. Uh, but I, I, as a counselor, am finding infidelity in every religious faith I've ever worked with. 
That's fascinating, Dr. Harley. That's like the reason I don't wear a helmet sometimes when I ski, because I feel like uh, I'll be more attentive. <laughs> the opposite. The, the moral hazard point you're making is is fascinating to me. That if you're uh, if you if you see yourself as being a faith oriented person, sometimes you feel like you don't need the same kind of uh, precautions around or the same guardrails. And that's really interesting. Food for thought. One other. Actually, two other demographic points that I wanted to make, just because if nothing else, it's fun to make them. There was a general social survey from 2010 to 2016 by the Institute for Family Studies, and there were uh, a couple of points that I thought uh, were bear, bear mentioning. One is that uh, Democrats are about 25% to 30% more likely to, to be um, cheating on their spouses than Republicans. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um, and here's, here's a shocker, that people 65 years or older – are about 70% more likely to be cheating than people that are eight in the 18 to 34 bracket. And I see Yeza nodding her head, but that one, that fact, they had me falling off my seat. Why are older people more likely to cheat? Well, um, people don't stop having sex. And so, you know, as they get older, um, oftentimes there's less men than there are women. There'll be like one guy on the floor at the, you know, at the assisted living facility who has had sex with X amount of, of the women there. There'll be moms. Oh my God, it reminds me of stories of my grandfather after my my grandmother, blessed memory. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've heard this before. Oh, yeah. No, like the wife's best friend, all of a sudden she gets sick, she dies, she moves in on it. So, um, and it, the, the STD rate is like through the roof because people don't care anymore. You're 80, you're like, whatever. You know, I mean, in all honesty, there's just not that much left of your, your human life that you're going to want to not fully enjoy that experience. Dr. Harley, obviously we're a little bit tongue-in-cheek here, but is there anything you'd like to add there on the age demographics of cheating? Yeah, and I and I do agree that, uh, you know, a lot of people think that by the time you're over 70, you just can't function anymore, and that's a, that is certainly not the case. I'm 82 now, <laughs> and, and I'm doing just fine. So the basic idea is that as you age, your sexual interests remain the same, especially for women. Uh, this is what I've noticed about women is that they seem to increase in their sexual interest from the time they're 40 on. And uh, there is a crossing over between a husband and a wife in terms of sexual interest uh, later in life. But the idea that um, by the time you get to be a certain age, you're not vulnerable is, is terribly uh Incorrect. And unless you take uh, these extreme precautions at every age in life, um, you're, you're going to succumb. Okay, so Dr. Harley and Yeza, you're in a relationship, a marriage or a long-term committed relationship, and you discover that your partner has been cheating on you. And let's let's start with an extreme example, at least from my vantage point, an extreme example, where there's been a long-term affair that's been sexual and emotional in nature. And now what? Is, what is, the, is there a path to recovery, Dr. Harley? Uh, and if so, yes. what are the basic elements of that path? Yeah, basically there are three parts to it. I describe it in the book Surviving an Affair, and I have six checklists for people to actually check them off because there's a lot to it. But the basic, it, you begin basically by being honest about what you did. And it's, uh, I call it exposure. Basically, you let people know, your friends, your family, yes, indeed, I had an affair. 
and um, you make it a public issue that um, need to, you need to be held accountable. The second thing is that you take extraordinary precautions to make sure that whatever the conditions were that made the affair possible don't exist in your life anymore. I'm a strong advocate of, of avoiding uh, close friendships with people of the opposite sex because a friendship itself means that you want the other person to be happy. You want to help the other person. You want to be there for the other person. And that is the grist for having an affair. The second part of the program is what I call transparency. And um, you're not going to have an affair if your spouse knows everything you're doing uh, and you're completely honest. And, and also there's another factor in transparency, which is that not only am I going to let my spouse know everything I'm doing, but I'm going to let my spouse veto anything that I might want to do. Uh, so um, I call those two rules the the policy of radical honesty and the policy of joint agreement. And those two coming together basically make an affair essentially impossible. And then the third part is to create a romantic relationship in your marriage. And uh, many people will come to me and say that one of the reasons I was able to get through this affair was that by the time we were through your program, we had a relationship we'd never had before. Um, it is deeper than it's ever been. It is more passionate than it's ever been. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, my argument has always been, well, don't have an affair to dis- discover that. <laughs> Learn how to have a passionate relationship without having to have an affair. But the point is that those are the three parts. First of all, extraordinary precautions, transparency, and then developing a passionate relationship within your marriage. All right. When people I'll, do that, I get basically this, they... This is fascinating stuff. So the, the extraordinary precautions, let's, let's start with that. Uh, the, you, you had talked about the idea of not having friendships with the opposite sex because, like I said, leads to temptation and so forth. I was, as you were saying that, I, my eyes got big, and I was like, I can't, I, I can't even imagine telling my partner that I – you know, that she shouldn't have friendships with people of the opposite sex. Um, Yeza, how, how do you feel about that? I, I think that anytime you're having friendships outside of the marriage, especially with the opposite sex, you're leaving the door open for an emotional affair. So you agree with Dr. Harley that that's an appropriate precaution? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when he talks about creating those precautions, that's right where that should be. Additionally, I will add that both parties have to be invested in making that marriage work because sometimes one party is content looking the other way. They don't want to deal with the hurdle. And and in that, when they get into that mode, they're not checking up on their, you know, their significant other and finding out where they are. They're just, they're removing themselves more from their relationship. And then there's not the checks and balances on the other side. So it contributes, you know, more to Risk. Wow. Okay. So let's talk now about about these other two concepts that Dr. Harley mentioned: radical honesty and joint agreement. Now, transparency uh, makes a lot of sense when you when you hear radical honesty and transparency. There's such positively loaded words that it seems like impossible to disagree with. But in my life experience, when you leave no private space 
when you are in, you're in a relationship situation where everything is disclosed, um, you can, it, it, I, I think it may actually have a rubber band effect. It can, it can actually push people to go outside of a structure because they feel like there's no oxygen for privacy. And I think that it's a really delicate subject. Dr. Harley, since you, since you're making the point around this because this is part of your, your, your formula, your formulaic approach, um, it, does this work for all couples? Is, is, is this idea of, of the spouse knowing absolutely everything always a good thing? Well, uh, you know, it's a tough sell, and um, um, I'm kind of a salesman at heart, and so whenever I get a couple that I'm working with, I have to talk them into my principles, and I have to, get, I have to come up with um, convincing arguments for giving up your privacy. And one of the best arguments that I can use is, why don't you try it for a while to see how it works? Um, I think whenever you sell anything, uh, you always should give the person the opportunity to um, turn it That's in yeah. and, and close it, and, 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 and they, they, they don't want to do that anymore. What people discover is that transparency is really a good idea for the other guy. In other words, I, I'd like to know what you're doing because I need to protect myself. Um, mm. But for myself, it's a tough sell because there are things that I want to do that if I were to do them, my spouse wouldn't be too happy with me. This is where the, my second rule, policy joint agreement, comes in. Where now, now I got to go. Now I got to actually avoid things that I really enjoy just because my wife doesn't happen to like me doing it. Um, like I said, as a counselor, I've got to be a salesman. I've got to sell that. And um, I'm pretty good at it now after having done it for 50 years. But the basic idea is that when you first propose the idea, it doesn't appeal, especially to men. Especially to men, it doesn't appeal. Let me challenge that for a second, Dr. Harley. I'm, I'm a man. I've cheated in relationships, and I've been cheated on in relationships. And I, I, can, more, I can more identify with her. I feel more comfortable with the, the solution of radical transparency or radical honesty and total transparency in my disfavor than in my favor. And what I mean by that is that I can more imagine doing that than wanting it from the other couple. So, Yeza, am I weird? I mean, do you hear this in therapy? Like, I don't want to be in a relationship where there's total transparency. I don't want – I mean, I want it to be transparent anytime that my partner wants to be transparent. But I don't want my partner to feel like I have to know every single thing going on in her life or every thought going through her head or every insecurity is going to Nobody wants I want, to know everything about, yeah. But I'm hearing that that's a good solution. No, so, I think what he's saying is that when you put those blockers into place and there are certain things that you should report to one another because they're, they're risk factors. And I also think that oftentimes what's not talked about are when people withdraw themselves from the relationship. They're not paying attention at all. Their partner loses 30 pounds, gets in amazing shape, is going to, you know, and they're, so there's a responsibility to have to check in with your partner and to be kind of checking on just because it's a precautionary way to save your relationship. All right. Well, we're going to be right back with, with Dr. William Harley and Yeza Mitt. We're in the minefield. We are walking the minefield talking about adultery, cheating, romantic betrayal, 
and healing and recovery. We'll be right back. Bye, bye, man. She tells him she must go out for the evening To comfort an old friend who's feeling down Equal Footing is brought to you in part by DocuVax. You've heard me talk about DocuVax before. It is a super easy-to-use, cool way to organize all of your medical files. Go to your smartphone app store on Android or iOS and put in DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. It's a very easy-to-use app. You then drop all your test results, your vaccine information, your x-ray stuff, your allergy information, your blood type. You just drop it in JPEG file, PDF, whatever. It takes you five minutes. Once you do that, your file gets organized. You have a place where you can safely and easily share it We're using a proprietary QR code-based system with a new doctor or new insurance company. You know, I'm a pet owner, as many listeners know, and I feel more in control and more aware of my pet's, like, regular checkups and vaccine needs and so forth than I do of my own. That makes no sense. Get your medical file organized, know when you have to do a preventative screening like a colorectal exam or breast cancer screening, download the DocuVax app or go to DocuVax.com. It covers over 60 different elements of your medical profile, from flu and tetanus vaccines to those screenings I talked about, to blood type, allergy information, et cetera. And the best part is it's super cheap. It's under $7 a month. You could subscribe for a year to DocuVax and make that money back with one reference to a specialist without having to go through a general practitioner, and that's because DocuVax gives you access 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to doctors and nurses, medical professionals on staff for you to give you a reference so you can waste less time going to the doctor when you know what you need. Download DocuVax, or if you want a group discount for DocuVax, if you're a small business owner, you want to do something for your congregation, you can get discounts if you mention you heard about it on Equal Footing by calling 833-859-1933. That's the DocuVax group discount line, 833-859-1933. I've been I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm here with Yeza Mitt, licensed clinical social worker, and Dr. William Harley. We're talking about infidelity. I wish we had another hour or two, guys. There's so much I want to get into. Uh, okay. I mean, I'm going to, like, shoot some questions. I've got some listener questions. Yeza, uh, women versus men, is the healing process different for a woman that's been cheated on in a relationship versus a man that's been cheated on in a relationship in your therapeutic experience? I think it's an individual issue, and it goes back to oftentimes experiences they had in childhood and what's more traumatic. So I don't think I, that sexuality is really the you know predeterminate factor. Okay, Dr. Harley, what do you think? Is there? I know you have a formula that's worked over the decades. Is, is are there any nuanced differences for men and women who have been, been the victims of cheating? My my general impression is that women have a harder time getting over it than men, although I know of a lot of men that are just devastated by their spouse's infidelity. Um, 
it, it's a very difficult thing to regain trust. And as far as I'm concerned, trust is so basic to a um, marriage that you lose that. And the question is, what have I got left? And um, I think this is particularly true for women, uh, although men would certainly agree that it is a big factor in their in their willingness to continue on in the marriage. So if I don't, and this is a listener question, and I've got the question personally too, is it okay to not mind cheating? And I think that uh, it's really hard to say, and here I am saying it in public out loud, but I, I don't. I'm, I haven't felt that hurt in my life when I've been cheated on. Uh, and it, maybe it's just something about the, the way I'm wired. Uh, it, it felt less important than other elements of the relationship. Uh, is that, does that mean, Geza, is there something wrong with me? And I'm not saying it tongue in cheek and listen to the same question. It is, um, what, what should a listener feel if their relationship, their partner, their partner is cheated? They're supposed to feel terrible and, it's not a big deal. Well, I think cheating is, you know, you have to define that. And so if somebody went behind your back and broke the trust that you have, which then shatters the respect in the relationship, which, you know, it's not insurmountable, but it takes a lot of work. Um, when other people are used to more free and open relationships, they will say like, oh, well, you know, I engaged in this, but... It's not really cheating. It, it's not the same when you don't have that, that promise and that commitment. But I know I'm not alone here, and I'm going to dig in a little bit on the point. I, we are told that it is. I mean, you heard Dr. Harley saying it's worse than losing a limb for some of his clients or having their house burned down, God forbid, or having some you know, horrible tragedy. And we are told that to a certain degree by you know, movies and, and you know, popular culture that it is like the most devastating thing that happens in your life that you describe like the child, whatever the trust is broken. I mean, never, but what if someone's listening that has something of that dynamic that I think I have as well of like, what it's like a bit of much ado about nothing. Like they, someone went back, okay, they had, maybe if someone had an affair for 20 years, there's like someone you didn't know, like there you feel like, okay, this is, I'm with a spouse. I don't even know. But if someone had sex behind your back, is it okay to, to not be that upset about about it? I think anybody's going to be really upset whenever you do anything behind their back. Dr. Harley, do you, do you agree? Uh, yeah, but basically, I'm probably like you in the sense that if my wife had an affair, I wouldn't be as affected as it would as she would be if I had an affair. Um, uh, she actually broke up with me six times while we were dating to go out with other guys. And um, I got over it pretty quick. I got another girlfriend within a, within a few days. Um, but I am aware of how devastating it would have been to her. I, I think the reason that I avoided an affair had more to do with her than it did with me. I I, I am to be trusted. I, I I think of that as a bigger. Responsible. I'm not as responsible for what other people do. I'm responsible for what I do. And uh, for me to avoid an affair, I think, is a very, very important thing in life, along with the general principle of not hurting anybody. I think one of my basic principles of life is I don't want to hurt anybody. Uh, I want to get through life uh, at least not hurting people, trying to help them if I can, but not hurting them. 
And the fact that other people could hurt me and get away with it, I wouldn't feel as bad to me as irrelevant. Um, I, I want to be the kind of person that is safe to be with. And I'm sure my wife appreciates that about me. Mm. That's beautiful. We don't have much more time, but I do want to get to one listener's question, uh, obviously remaining anonymous, um, who says that uh, he sleeps with people outside of the marriage when he's angry um, with his spouse and feels like he has no other way to express that anger. Uh, it sounds like passive-aggressive behavior and rationalizing, um, again, back to cognitive distortions. I don't, I don't think anybody, I don't think even this listener is, is arguing that they're doing the right thing. Well, what should they do, though? What's the right, what, do they just seek find help. a therapist? Yeah, they need to seek help because they need to find out why they're doing that. Okay. I want to, before we break, we didn't do this show on, on different relationship structures, but I can't help but ask both of you because the last point that Dr. Harley made around the kind of solution to a healing from infidelity has to do with this joint agreement, the veto power, which that was very beautifully uh, put. Um, what about where does, does this type of situation sometimes lead couples to find other relationship structures that are not traditionally monogamous? Is it kind of the canary in the coal mine for that? Uh, is there, is there, is there any, is there any positive that comes out of it in terms of kind of structuring the relationship or am I being a Pollyanna? No, I mean, I think it depends on the individuals in the relationship and what their level of comfort is. That said, I will say you're always jeopardizing you know, a certain amount because it, it could, something can get emotional and it can get between you. And so when you have these parameters in place, you're making sure that never happens. When you're, you know, allow yourself to play, even though you're both, you, there is a little bit more susceptibility to, you know, having somebody come between you. Okay. So, Dr. Harley, you, you get the last word. It's going to have to be very quick. You told me an anecdote before the show about how you were on the Sally Jesse Raphael show. I think it was in the 80s, if I remember correctly. And there were two other guests in the show that were advocating for women in particular uh, going outside of their marriage and, and, and cheating. Is there any – can you play a devil's advocate for, mo- for a moment and say, is there anything salutary, is there anything healthy that people argue occurs from this type of uh, – trauma in a relationship yeah i would say life is short and the more romantic relationships you have the better because they're all wonderful and just because somebody else gets offended by what you're doing doesn't mean you should stop experiencing what life has to offer and um, maybe if the person objects to the way you are behaving and in other people that person shouldn't be in a relationship with you that's the argument Yes, I, actually, I spoke too soon. You get the last word, but in 20, 50 seconds. <laughs> what was that? Oh, sorry, I can't. <laughs> okay. That was great. That was, you know, usually as people take devil's advocacy position, they go real soft. That was, a, that was an interesting one to end on. Dr. Harley, Yeza, I mean, we'd love to have you on in the future. I feel like we've just kind of scratched the surface. Thank you both. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. And you treated my woman to a flake of your life and when she came back she was nobody's wife well I see 